As we continue our time of worship, we also continue uh, the series uh, in the book of Joshua of discovering God's desired future for our church. And again, we're using the book of Joshua because this book is about Israel entering into a new beginning in the promised land. They entered into new territory. And they began to celebrate the Passover again, and they had to learn how to eat produce from the land of Canaan because for 40 years, they had the manna just provided for them by God. So this was a huge leap of faith for the people of Israel. They had to trust God, and they could trust God because God was faithful to his people. So this morning, we read from Joshua 6, and it's probably a familiar story to many, a story of Jericho being conquered. And it's a story about victory and obedience. But before we read from this chapter, let's come to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word and for the book of Joshua in which we are reading. And may this book, and particularly today's message, speak words of challenge, hope, and grace to us. As you give us your Holy Spirit, may we respond in open minds and hearts shining our light wherever you send us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Joshua 6, verses 1 to 27. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed, men went, the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same, same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. And only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. 
Otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have a story in Joshua 6 where the Israelite people have geared themselves up to begin the conquest in the land of Canaan. It's another act of obedience that, which is through this ritual of marching around the city of Jericho. And in verse 1, it already states that the gates to the city were barred shut and nobody was allowed in or out. The city was in lockdown. The people of Jericho were afraid. The city was considered unconquerable. The city boasted the strongest fortress in all of Canaan. The walls could not be penetrated. It had double walls separated by 15 feet that surrounded and protected the city. These walls were strong and thick walls. And there were even houses that were built on these walls. And so now we have Israel entering into this community, into this story. Israel was God's chosen nation. Israel was not chosen because they were bigger than any other nations or better than any other nations because they weren't bigger, they weren't better. They were simply chosen by God out of his grace and his goodwill. And God made promises with Israel and then Israel was called to be faithful and obey. And God had a plan for his chosen people. And God was going to stick to his promises and to his plan. And for those promises to be realized, circumstances or nations that went against God's will, they had to be dealt with. Recall the story of creation. We heard about that story through the children's message this morning. God established a perfect creation. But then Satan turned both Adam and Eve against God's perfect will. God put a plan in place to destroy the enemy, the devil, and he put a plan in place to eventually restore humanity in our relationship with God. In Joshua 6, Israel is again reminded 
that there is an enemy out there. And this enemy is the devil. And the devil was using the people of Jericho, the people of Jericho who were not in line with God's will. They're against God. If they're not in line with God's will, they're against him. So this was a wicked land, and they were wicked people. It was centuries earlier, actually, that in Genesis 15, verse 16, where God referred to the sin and evil of those living in the land of Canaan, already in Genesis. And the people had centuries to repent. And God was only patient for so long. Now, we may not completely understand the full destruction, but there are enemies of God, and our God hates evil. But we also have stories of mercy. Because in Joshua 2, we get a story of God's mercy where Rahab shared her faith in God. And as noted in Joshua 6, she and her family were spared. God was merciful to those who were obedient. The rest of Jericho was afraid of Israel, and they were afraid of Israel's God. So they didn't have faith in God. Jericho and those in the land of Canaan were wicked people. They heard all the things that God had done, but they failed to put their trust and faith in the God of Israel. They were an enemy to Israel and an enemy to God. And Jericho and other nations in Canaan had to be dealt with. God had made a promise to Israel. He made a promise to his chosen people to keep the line of Israel for for kings and for the great king. And our God is continually at war with sin. And so Jericho was the wall standing in the way of the Israelites to claim their inheritance, their land. Jericho stood in the way of Israel entering the promised land of Canaan, and Jericho needed to be conquered. The walls were not able to be penetrated, so the walls needed to collapse before the Israelites could move forward on God's journey for them. Again, this was all part of God's plan. It's okay to admit that God uses strange methods to achieve great things. So God established early on in the scriptures that nothing will be an obstacle for him. Not even Jericho. Not the devil, not sin. Throughout all of history, there have been obstacles attempting to go against God's good plan. Throughout the history of the world, there has been good versus evil. There has been God versus the devil, life versus death, obedience versus disobedience, and sin. The enemy is out there, and the enemy is real. People, there is a war going on, and we are in the midst of a battle. This month, a Christian Reformed daily devotional called The Today It focuses on the Sermon of the Mount and specifically the Beatitudes as it comes to us in Matthew 5. And it's in Matthew 5, verse 9, where we read, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Followers of Jesus, children of God, are called to be peacemakers. This passage in Matthew doesn't state that we are to be peacekeepers. Peacekeepers keep the peace. Peacekeepers don't like conflict. Peacekeepers would not fight. Peacemakers, on the other hand, they make peace. 
Peacemakers will see that sometimes there is healthy conflict and growth occurs often from conflict. Peacemakers will know that sometimes people have to enter into a battle. Peacemakers know that to live in peace, you sometimes have to go to war. And as believers, we cannot ignore the battle against sin. So as peacemakers, children of God, we go to war against sin. And Israel went to war because from the line of Israel, the king of peace was to eventually be born. New Testament book, Ephesians, Ephesians 6 states, our battle's not against one another. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. The battle's against the enemies of the spiritual realm. The battle is against the devil. And we are called to be peacemakers. There are enemy walls that need to come down. And it's up to us, up to the people, up to the church, to be obedient to God and to follow his will as God collapses any wall. Even in the midst of our educations, whether university, college level, or elementary and secondary schools, there's a wall of secularism ensuring that there is little or no Christianity in the public sector. But God ensures that his followers are still present. There's this wall of uh, postmodern worldview the wall that states that there's no truth. The wall that states what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. And God says, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's a wall of injustices in our society among non-believers and even believers. And God calls us to be people of mercy and love. Our enemy is at war in this world. And it's trying to keep believers from claiming the inheritance that we have through Jesus Christ. Our enemy is trying to keep believers from sharing the gospel of Jesus and making it seem difficult to do so, even in a free country such as Canada. And even during COVID, despite several restrictions on churches, we still have been able to freely worship and we have been able to freely share the gospel message with others. That has not stopped. Our enemy is creating disunity among God's people and distracting God's people with other priorities. Our enemy is making us way too busy to fight injustices and we would rather look after ourselves. The church and growing God's kingdom are often not as important for believers. We are in a battle and we're not to be peacekeepers. We're to be peacemakers, being obedient to our God. So here we have Joshua 6. Israel went into war. And they did not go into war alone. Take note how often the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned in this passage several times. The Ark is representation of God going and being with the people of Israel. Israel was not alone in this peacemaking journey. And in addition, the outcome... It was already determined. They didn't just hope for victory. They were assured victory. 
a theme that we talked about from Joshua 2 was that whenever God's people are sent, God has already preceded his people. And this is again evident in the upcoming battle with Jericho. God is victorious before they even fight. God has once again preceded his people. Joshua 6 verse 2, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. This statement was made before they marched towards the city. God delivered the city to them. It's verse 2 that really states the key to their success. God led the Israelites through this obstacle. God tore down the walls of Jericho. I have delivered. The victory has already been won by God. And all Joshua and his people had to do was obey the Lord and claim his promise. You see, no wall is too big for God, and there's nothing that God cannot handle. Even this unconquerable, what was known as unconquerable city of Jericho. People of God, we cannot underestimate the role of the Lord God in this whole event. As we said, chapter 6 begins with the powerful words of God having delivered Jericho into their hands. And the chapter ends with the words in verse 27, So the Lord was with Joshua. God was there before, during, and after the events that all transpired in Jericho. Knowing that God has promised victory, Israel is able to go forward in confidence. Israel was able to be obedient to God's instructions and to his mission. In this chapter, the Lord sent the troops of Israel towards the city, and God provided them with instructions. Now, God's plan probably seemed rather interesting from their perspective and our perspective. There were to be seven priests carrying seven trumpets, marching around the city for seven days, and on the seventh day, circle around the city for seven times. The number seven in the Bible symbolizes completeness or perfection. Though God's plan of action may have seemed strange to the people, it was the perfect and complete scheme for this battle. The victory was already God's. And on account of that, the victory was the people's. God's plan also tested the faith of Joshua and the faith of the people. Both Joshua and the people obeyed God, and they did as they were instructed. The victory was won. The victory was won by faith, not by fear. Faith is defined in Hebrews 11 verse 1 as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And Israel had faith. They were confident and assured though this unconquerable city stood before them. The Israelites were called to have faith and obedient to the Lord's plan of attack. They were also called to be obedient to the Lord when the Lord said that the city and everything in it was to be devoted to the Lord. And the word devoted here, it means a devotion to utter destruction. All people and animals were destroyed. Nothing was allowed to live with the exception of Rahab and her family. Everything was either to be burned or consecrated as holy to the sanctuary of the Lord. All the possessions were to be forfeited by the people. There could be no trace of this city that lie in the path of the Israelites' entrance into the promised land. This seems 
course, somewhat harsh. Typically, soldiers were allowed to share in the plunder, but not in this case. This was the first victory of many. And the Lord said that Israel could take nothing. This is the first victory, and everything belongs to God. It's kind of like the rule of first fruits that's coming out here. The first fruits of any crops were to be offered to the Lord. The first fruits of the victory were to be offered to the Lord. And the people of Israel entered into this city and devoted everything to God by either destroying or killing or putting into the treasury of the Lord. God delivered Jericho into their hands by bringing the wall down. God removed the barrier that stood in the way of the Israelite people from entering into their promised land of Canaan. The success of God's illogical plan also involved the obedience of his people because the people were to completely follow the plans of God. They were obedient. They were faithful. They were victors. God delivered people, rather God delivered Jericho to the people even before the people did any work. They already stood victorious because God was on their side. God gave the plan for the Israelites to tear down the wall, tear down the wall and to move forward in faith to a, a life of possessing their promised land of Canaan. And people, God's promises continue to hold true for us today. Now we're not inheriting any land, but we are inheriting eternal life. And the Lord is already victorious. And so are we. We celebrated the Lord's Supper this morning again, in which we celebrated Christ's victory and our victory. God leads us as he tears down the walls that stand in our way. And where there's resistance or fears or any other walls that are before us, we need to let God lead. Whatever we are presently facing in our life today, know that the Lord has already been victorious and we need to simply follow him to obey the Lord. We already stand victorious on account of Jesus Christ. Christ has already removed that wall that resulted in the broken relationship between us and our God. Jesus Christ has already delivered us from all our sins. All our past, present, and future sins have already been forgiven on account of what Christ did for us, his people, on the cross. Romans 8.31 states, If God is for us, who can be against us? Christ has already won the battle for us. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to be living our lives as victors, not victims. I think COVID has too many Christians and churches feeling like victims. We're not victims. As believers, as Christ's church, we are victors. And people of God have faith in the promises, the promises from God's word that are true. Have faith that God has delivered us from sin and death. Have faith that the Lord has taken our burdens upon himself. Have faith that the walls before us will tumble down. And live out that faith with justice and mercy and love so that others can see God at work in our lives and come to know him and to live out their lives as victors. So yes, God has called us to be peacemakers, but Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker because he's already fought the, bottle, the battle against Satan. Jesus has already been victorious over death. Death does not have the final say. 
The Apostle Paul states in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And then Paul continues and states in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, and it goes on, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. People of God, we are in a battle against sin. And we don't know how many days that we have to march around before Jesus returns and completely destroys the devil and restores the world and restores his people. But the outcome has already been established. The victory belongs to Jesus and to his people. And we are called to have faith and be obedient and to build his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for this story of Jericho. Even though at times we don't fully understand your plans, but we are thankful that whatever walls stand in our way, you are already there ahead of us. And Lord, we're so thankful that you have delivered us from the great wall of sin. And we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, our salvation. Help us to be obedient to you and to walk a life of faith and love for you. Help us to always remember that you have already won the battle and that you will return again one day to make all things new. And we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.